Welcome back to a continuation of Conversations with Chrissy. So proud to have some of our former MBA administrators joining us again to share their story and their history with the MBA in the state of Maryland. Um, let's go to the federal mandates because it's been referenced a few times. John jumped in there with Real ID, and I know Mil Real ID uh, talked about when you were hired, right? I mean, that was <laughs> from the beginning day. of your MBA yeah. time, right? So yeah. let's talk a yeah. little bit about Real ID. Hijackers uh, got IDs and things, and they shouldn't have been able to get them. That kind of set everything in motion. Yeah, that's right. right. It, it fundamentally changed there. the nature of um, identity management for motor vehicle agencies and what we had to do to vet our customers. Um, you know, we often talk about in these, in, and you know, Ann, I mean, these are things that motor vehicle agencies were talking about even before that, about what needed to be done. But after 9-11, I think it really crystallized in a, in a different way. And then, of course, the federal mandate, which created more um, burdens for states and still working towards a implementation date, which has been pushed out again. So um, that one's really something that spanned many uh, administrator terms. Well, it does. It does. I mean, I can, we can all kind of remember the day where were we? I was getting ready for interviews. We, I, just, I was actually just interviewing somebody at Bill Long's office at mm -hmm. the time when we all walked out and saw the towers come down. Mm -hmm. I was very glad Mill came back, came after we rescheduled. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think the in truth, that shifted. While MBA all along had been uh, safety and service, it really shifted us more clearly into security. It wasn't that, just as Marshall described at the outset, we didn't already understand what an important data uh, and privacy role we held mm -hmm. in the systems because the MBA has the largest, if not the second largest, perhaps next to tax um, database in the, in the state, in the jurisdiction. Um, but that shift into identity security was pretty profound, just mm -hmm. as Milt described, to learn that um, some of the hijackers had um, credentials from Maryland and a couple other states. I mean, it was devastating, frankly, and we really worked very hard to improve the integrity of that process and license and, and ensure, I mean, you have built on it, but it's something states are still talking about today mm -hmm. to implement the Real ID Act. Still, mm -hmm. just about every jurisdiction has Real ID. Every jurisdiction does have Real ID. Some have 100% mm -hmm. adoption. The impact on service times, um, the impact on uh, state, uh, kind of state privilege in terms of how you do your own process. All of those things have, uh, have uh, profoundly impact how, how each of the state uh, motor vehicle administrations work. But really to see, I mean, I, I'm really more curious to see how Milt um, and John and you sort of carried this out. I think you probably have a clearer mm -hmm. recollection of how we truly implemented because the first couple of years after 9-11, after, uh, we couldn't get word one out of the federal government mm -hmm. just that there was a mandate President Bush had a mandate. We had this requirement. The states had already come together and built what would be the requirements of a standardized driver's license. We called it uh, drivers and the mm -hmm. concept of being able to exchange data to ensure that you couldn't have more than one license yeah. um, in, 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 at any one time. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really Congress built on that. But we, we couldn't get the feds to decide on anything, and yet we were still beholden to a, to a revised process. So I'm excited now to hear, hear from Milt. You know, the big thing that a lot of people didn't realize was the procurement effort around it was huge. Oh, yeah. Yep. And that was one of our biggest challenges, not just getting the right ID, but the procurement piece. And it was fortunate that John had a strong background in procurement, and I had worked there and learned from the ground up, you know. So we were ready to do it, and then it, 
it took money too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it wasn't just the procurement effort. It was actually being able to afford to do it too and having it in the budget. Because no one really understood that but us. Right. right. I think one of the, um, the interesting things when I was witnessing the uh, impact of Real ID uh, in the motor vehicle community mm. was the similarities with uh, an earlier federal mandate, uh, commercial driver licensing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And commercial driver licensing uh, presented the same challenges with one big exception. And most of the motor vehicle agencies were not focused on policy. Uh, at the time the commercial driver license requirement came in in 1986, there were only 10 states in the country, in the United States or Canada, 10 states or provinces that had a classified driver's system that actually had a driver license for a motorcyclist or for a mm-hmm. truck driver. Fortunately, Maryland was one of those. Um, and I, credit for that goes way before my time. Maryland, I felt, has always been very, very advanced in driver licensing policy. But CDL forced the community of motor vehicle administrators to focus on the policy side and to focus on the impact of policy decisions and practices in one jurisdiction and how they affect another. Uh, the feds also were absent after sure. they passed the law, yeah. and uh, we learned a lot about uh, uh, trying to figure out how to, to participate in a federal vacuum in a way that influenced the final outcome, mm-hmm. as was the case in, in uh, Real ID. Yeah. But it also energized the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, the early days of the AAMVA, uh, people would get together and talk about process. What kind of paper do you print mm. titles on? Mm-hmm. Uh, should you have a picture on your driver's license? That sort of thing. The organization as a whole was driven toward a higher level of professionalism through the CDL program, uh, where they had to think about policy and AAMVA's role in helping the states uh, develop uniform policy, states and provinces. And I think that led into uh, a position where, uh, in some sense, uh, it was a little bit easier. Had Real ID come without CDL, mm-hmm. I think it would have uh, it would have been a disaster. That's a great and point. And I, even our all-driver system today yeah. um, builds on that. Yeah. And AMBA is such an important way that we are able to communicate with other states electronically and get yeah, these... Right assurances. John, on Real ID, I think the first week that I started, you had created that Real ID task force, and it really was about trying to bring everybody together, right, and make sure from our elected leaders Mm -hmm. to our um, fellow government agencies that we're all on the same page because Mm -hmm. it was such a big policy shift. uh, The Federal Real ID Act definitively was Mm -hmm. a very uh, unique policy shift for all the state uh, DMVs, uh, motor vehicle agencies. And uh, when you think about it, uh, the United States Congress was very strategic in how they crafted this piece Mm -hmm. of legislation. Uh, You know, it's called, it's technically a federal mandate uh, but the way they crafted this legislation is that, uh, you know, because it's a, with recognition that issuing driver licenses 
is delegated to the states. That's right. Okay, it's an authority of the state, not a fed, not a federal, not, not, not under federal jurisdiction. And uh, so the way they crafted this uh, piece of legislation, you know, passing the Real ID Act of 2005, was uh, that uh, they disallowed, okay, state issued driver license. If you want to use a state issued ID to enter a federal facility or to board a commercial aircraft or to enter a nuclear power plant, you know, and it's not Real ID compliant, you could not do so. Okay, now, therefore, you know, it doesn't really technically prohibit the state from not complying with federal real ID. So when the, the Real ID Act passed in 2005 by Congress, there was indeed an uproar by a lot of the state jurisdictions. One was unfunded uh, because of the, you know, because it was really unknown what we needed to do at the time was passed in 2005. Um, and, um, and two, you know, there was this, uh, you know, there were state agencies and state, uh, state uh, you know, governments that believed that it was, it was uh, the, the feds were crossing, you know, crossing the line with regard to this mandate. Um, so, but we basically, as soon as the you know, federal ID passed, we you know, formed the internal task force uh, to begin to collect information on what's going to be required. Mm -hmm. And we had to really wait for the feds uh, who turned this over to the newly created agency called the Department of Homeland Security to promulgate the regulations. Okay? And it took years for them and to And they didn't promulgate final, the regulations right? until three years later in 2008, you know, three years after the federal Real ID Act mm -hmm. passed. And then uh, even after they promulgated Promulgated regulations, you know, they didn't know really know how to enforce it. <laughs> okay, so as uh, in a long story short, you know, even to this day, you know, I guess uh, you know they're going to start the full enforcement actions in 2025, I believe. That's it right. Is, right. That's right. Uh, so it took that long, you know, 20 years from the passage of yeah. an wow. act of the United States Congress for full enforcement actions to take take place to this day. Well, but you the know, real so. impact of that um, <laughs> was, I mean, to Marshall's point, the mm -hmm. jurisdictions, the community of states within AMBIT, was less so for the Canadian jurisdictions, um, came together and continued to evolve what they'd already begun, which right. is understanding that to have the most secure driver's license and most uh, secure data, mm -hmm. we need to have some standards um, of interoperability to ensure that those credentials couldn't be held by more than one, you know, no, one person right. couldn't have more than one credential, but depending on what you state they were in at any time, exactly. that's right. <laughs> they wanted to be sure they weren't falling through the cracks on fraud, identity fraud, as well as on safety. Mm -hmm. And and the feds did ultimately bring money into the game through right. FEMA right. to implement a, and structure a pilot. And mm -hmm. Chrissy Neiser, mm -hmm. you know, was, Maryland was really the lead in helping bring that concept together and actually create the foundation for what now is known as the state-to-state -state service. Mm -hmm. Because the regulation for DA from the Department of Homeland Security would only be effective as long as something was implemented. Mm -hmm. You can say states can't issue a real ID to, and it, to, to a person if there's already one in another state, but if you can't carry that out through a system, through a process much like SIDLIS, Commercial Driver License Information System, it's to no avail. And really, Chrissy, you had such a key role in that for Maryland and for uh, the community across the country. So. Only thanks to John yeah. for uh, saying, hey, we need you to represent Maryland on this group. And so- <laughs> Is that um, really where it started? It really where, is where That's it started. I remember some of the representatives came and meet with us and met with us and John saw the vision of, 
it makes sense to come together as the states and um, set the stage for this as opposed to being told by the federal government this is what you need to do and so buying into that concept we helped um, put together the requirements and said to the federal government doesn't this make sense so that they would um, move in that direction but yeah it's all thanks to john and really every component of what we do as a motor vehicle agency was impacted to change the law we had to change the actual physical card that was issued the procurement piece that milk reference Mm -hmm. you know we had to change our security processes you know all of our facilities what they look like from Mm -hmm. a security our employees had to go through training and background checks as you think about there was not a stone unturned when it comes to motor vehicle business during that time so Mm -hmm. it was incredibly challenging in terms of how do you make sure you meet the federal requirements which aren't quite finalized but at the same time bring your employees along with it because they're struggling to keep up with these new mandates right. and these new requirements. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's important to note that, um, you know, one of the key challenges uh, in implementation of the Federal Real ID Act for our state uh, in, in particular was uh, in convincing our elected officials that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you might recall Chrissy and Milt, uh, both of you, because uh, I, I, I <laughs> uh, keenly recall uh, one particular meeting uh, where with uh, Secretary, former Secretary John Picari and I went to meet with Governor O'Malley, you know, 101, okay, uh, to outline the options that we had as a state juris- no, state, no, state entity uh, to comply with Federal Real ID Act standards once the uh, DHS regulations were promulgated. Mm-hmm. And we outlined three clear options, okay? One, you could do nothing, okay? Mm-hmm. Not comply, which some states not, did not for comply, a while, which right? is an option, yeah. but not, a, not an attractive option, but it was still an option, okay? And another option was to fully comply federal real ID based on the regulations they promulgated regarding, regarding uh, uh, requiring legal presence, et cetera, okay? Uh, but we recommended ultimately uh, the option of implementing a two-tier process, okay? Uh, two-tier process, because as you might recall, Milt and Chrissy, uh, one of the major challenges that we had was, um, and this was actually highlighted by Lou Dobbs, I believe, on CNN. Uh, in one particular news segment, uh, he kept uh, talking on the night, you know, night news that uh, Maryland was a weak link. That's right. Because we did not have a legal presence That's requirement. Right. Yeah. And lo and behold, as soon as he, that aired, what were we seeing, Milt? We were seeing people lined up at our branch oh, offices wow. around the corner. Okay. Wow. Uh, they were coming wow. from all the other state jurisdictions because they saw Maryland as a pass-through for a driver license. Was Milt your deputy at that time? Milt, <laughs> yeah. were you deputy administrator? He was. <laughs> or leading the field. I mean, right. how did you guys manage that? Because you did. You were overwhelmed mm-hmm. with, uh, you had folks lo- sitting along the floors around the... We spent a lot of time managing those long lines and those people showing up. Fraud was out the door. <laughs> yeah, talk about fraud a little bit. I mean, I know that's something, Milt, that you really focused on in terms of... Mm-hmm. How do you ensure the integrity of the product and make sure people aren't being taken advantage of, frankly? And quite honestly, that's when we actually did expand our uh, investigative unit and got more people working on it. And and I know you helped build the fraudulent document recognition program, which we've built on today, yes. but you're really instrumental in that. So, I mean, that, that took a lot of effort. And I think I... Fortunately, I wasn't the one that actually, I mean, Chrissy, you know, you had a lot to do with that and helping us with, you know, all the, all the work there, not to mention someone by the name of Eric that actually his group helped a lot with that. So. 
It was definitely a team effort because it involved yeah. all yeah. aspects of the organization. It, yeah. imp it impacted every aspect of what we used to do. Right, yeah, exactly. No yeah, and it, it hurt us from a service standpoint for a while. Right. Yeah, it truly did. Yeah. Yeah. The but good it, news it, is Maryland's now 92% Real ID compliant. That's right. That's right. So wow. thanks yeah. to all the good work yeah. everybody that's did. Um, yeah, we are one, remarkable. not quite at 100, but one of the top states right. in terms of it. But it was because the foundation was that kudos, I kudos to the three of you. Uh, Maryland, uh, even with all the delays and procurement issues and everything, was one of the first states that yeah. was that, certified fully. Recorded. Excellent point, Marshall. Because and, and to, and so to this date, uh, to this date, uh, I think uh, myself and former uh, director of DMV and and former secretary of the, the Delaware the DOT, Jennifer mm -hmm. Cohen, uh, we all, when we talk, we see each other. We always debate who was number one. <laughs> who was the first state to comply, Delaware or Maryland? Well, yep. Delaware and, is the and, first and, state. As far as I'm all. concerned, it was Maryland. It was right? Maryland. It was That's Maryland. my story, right. and I'm sticking so, to it. <laughs> well, because actually, DA. HS was pointing at, uh, pointing Maryland out, using Maryland as an example for all the other states who were, who were resisting compliance with uh, federal real ID That's mandate, right. and using Maryland as an example. Look, they they were able to do it. They're coming into compliance. Why can't, you, why can't you? Made you popular with your peers. They were not. It? Uh, it was <laughs> not popular. Well, I'll tell you one thing that did make you popular, and I think right. this has been under Chrissy's tenure, is the introduction of uh, real ID by appointments. I remember when I went to get my first real ID. I mean, I made an appointment. I was in and out in Nanus. I mean, it was so cool. Yeah. And I like to go to the Annapolis Ranch, by the way. I like mm -hmm. to go to Glen Burnie Ranch and hang out because, as I say, I think the people are amazing. But it was just the service was astounding and professional and simple and convenient because I and I that it has come such a long way from the time that I stepped in following Marshall and Marshall mm -hmm. really introduced some of the some of the wait time improvements. So I mean, you guys have really done so much. It's amazing. When John was there and he really worked with uh, the secretary, which was Beverly at the time, they moved the Maryland Highway Safety Office to the MVA. It made so much sense. It probably didn't make a lot of sense to a lot of other people. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we really took major steps that are evident even in the state that I live in right now that they didn't have that kind of relationship because it drove the kind of behavior that helped us really get safety under control. Things like the distracted driving legislation that took place. I mean, we got everybody involved, law enforcement. To this day in Georgia, law enforcement's not really engaged in that. And that's why there's still so many, I think, fatalities here. Right. You know, and it is a high fatality state, but that was a major thing. Chrissy, John, you guys did a great job of making that happen. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I think citizens of Maryland really don't understand how impactful that's been on safety. Right. I mean, yep. the ability to put more emphasis on the driving schools, getting law enforcement as a partner with us to work on you know, making sure enforcement took place. When I see they have the three state enforcement here, it's, I just, I look at it sometimes and I laugh mm -hmm. because they do it a couple of times. But other than that, no emphasis on speeding, no emphasis on distracted driving. Uh, that's where Maryland is so far ahead of everyone.
talk a little bit about that, John, how it came sure. to be? Oh, my pleasure. Um, I've always thought that the uh, Maryland Highway Safety Office uh, logically belonged under the Motor Vehicle Administration. Because when you think about it, uh, the Maryland Highway Administration's uh, mission, mandate, and focus is on building safe highways, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. uh, having the proper guardrails, having the proper drainage, so on and so forth, doing, uh, now doing climate weather. Uh, but who, what really causes crashes in the state and, and the increase in crashes uh, in the state, mm -hmm. in the state data, uh, was the fact that vehicles and drivers and operators of those vehicles were the major causes mm -hmm. of those crashes, uh, which, and who's, who obviously uh, was, uh, had the focus and mission mandate to, now to, uh, uh, to, to, to make sure that uh, our drivers operate safely behind the wheel. It was the Motor Vehicle Administration, which is why, you know, when, you know, uh, I strategically always constantly thought, you know, if there was an opportune time uh, to transition the MHSO, the, uh, the Maryland Highway Safety Office, over to the MDA, you know, I would uh, jump at that chance. Mm -hmm. uh, but that chance never arose <laughs> because my uh, former colleague, the, the State Highway Administrator, you know, uh, Mr. Neil Peterson, uh, had done such an admirable job in running the MHSO, you know, under the State Highway Administration. Uh, I just didn't think it was the proper time to uh, to uh, propose a hostile takeover <laughs> of the Maryland Highway Safety Office and have it merged under the MVA. Uh, but when Mr. Peterson, State Administrator Peterson, retired from state uh, service uh, from the Highway Administration, uh, I immediately you know, uh, pulled, uh, you know, talked to Chrissy and uh, Milt Chaffee and said, uh, what do you think? <laughs> and they were squarely behind uh, the proposed uh, idea to merge the uh, MHA so, uh, and have it transition over to the MVA. So obviously, you know, I, I had a conversation and proposed that to the former Secretary Beverly Swain Staley. Uh, she immediately concurred. Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm so glad that you guys want to take this on, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and uh, she obviously had a conversation with the governor. The governor concurred and, uh, and here the rest is history. MHSO uh, was uh, merged and uh, transitioned over to the MVA. Uh, with that said, it sounds like an easy transition. It was a major undertaking, okay, <laughs> uh, in moving the MVA. MHSO office. First off, you got the staff of the MHSO has a, who has a long tenure and history with the Maryland Highway Administration mm -hmm. uh, that didn't really necessarily want to be part of the MBA. Yeah. Okay, they yeah. believe they logically belonged under the uh, the, the, the Maryland Highway Administration. Uh, so it took some you know, meetings with the staff <laughs> at uh, the Maryland Highway Safety Office, conversations with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration under USDOT, you know who, and we work with uh, the regional administrator, uh, Liz Baker. Elizabeth Baker, uh, who also believe at, absolutely, I wish more states would move it under Motor Vehicle Administration. That <laughs> just makes that just makes complete up. logical sense. Yeah, still uh, and yeah. uh, and hence, I'm so glad you had this crash on me. That's you know, right. Here, you know that that's <laughs> what we're about. You know, driver safety. You know, uh, so um, and and so when, when it finally was moved over, MHSO was moved over to the MVA. We found a home for them, and you know, I'm, I'm glad to say that uh, the vast majority of the staff uh, that was part of the MHSO. So, you know, quickly got acclimated as part of the NBN. They understood uh, the driver safety focus that we were engaged mm -hmm. in. Right. And, um, and Chrissy, uh, you can certainly take the, you know, uh, continue to uh, speak about because we put uh, the requirement under you <laughs> as, uh, as one of our deputy administrators uh, of the NBA to take charge of that uh, opportunity once it was merged with the NBA. Well, so, it truly was an mm -hmm. honor. Go ahead, Mel. Mm -hmm. No, and I'm going to say Chrissy gave him direction they had never gotten before. And really it set them on a track to really get things accomplished. And if it wasn't for you giving them direction and setting, I mean, 
I can remember it was resistance. They didn't like getting direction. <laughs> they thought they had all the answers, but they soon, soon grew accustomed to it. You're right. I think they were very independent at State Highway Administration, just an office kind of functioning on its own, which, you know, operated fine. And so they never, I think, ran into challenges or issues. They just did their own thing. And so coming over to MBA, we said, no, you're a part of the team, just like mm -hmm. everybody at MBA. Right. And we all work together. But we were able to show, to your point, that we can incorporate your safety message into our renewal notices and we can put the safety messages yeah. up in the branch office. There's just so mm -hmm. many opportunities to share from an education standpoint, the driving schools. Mm -hmm. um, the opportunities are just countless in terms of our safety mission and what that way safety office um, is put in place to do. So I think it was so brilliant and um, fortunate from a timing standpoint that we were able to make it happen. And uh, yeah, I think there's only been benefit to the partnership since then. Mm -hmm. But even though Highway Safety Office came fairly recently in the MBA's history, Highway Safety has been a part of what MBA has yeah, done. Absolutely. You know, graduate licensing system, yeah. motorcycle safety. Right. These are things yeah. that both of you are yeah. very engaged mm -hmm. in and involved in. So I wonder if you could talk about that briefly, just from a, mm -hmm. you know, this is not new in terms of our focus on highway safety and saving lives. Right. Well, it might go back to my comments earlier about the evolution of motor vehicle administrators writ large, evolving into policy yeah. uh, from process. Um, my comment to you is yes, uh, you know, MVA was deeply involved in, in safety, uh, crash reduction, uh, road safety, uh, safety of the driver as well, but never knew it. There was never a, a, a mission focus and an opportunity to approach it on a policy level and integrate it with other agencies uh, and with the private sector. And so it was like everything else I think we've talked about this morning, it was an evolution of things that uh, kind of were happening over time, uh, uh, both internal and external, uh, that really is, has led us to where we are today. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the, I agree with John, I, I, and, I, and I never really thought about it, to be honest with you, when I was administrator. But uh, the, it, it was a revolutionary, uh, un, shall I say, cultural change mm -hmm. to MVA uh, to become the road safety agency mm -hmm. of the state. And it just, uh, it was one of the S's in the three S's. That's right. That's right. right. That's Absolutely. Right. So, and I think uh, from a stakeholder view, the, there was at the time I was administrator, the, clearly the movement towards um, acknowledging that teen drivers have, ha have the highest uh, crash and fatal crash outcomes. And, and it's just tragic. There's not a person in this room that hasn't spent time with a family who has lost a teen um, from a fatal car crash, and it is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we all live the, to, you know, really are driven to try and address that and improve it. And one of the opportunities when I was administrator was the shift to acknowledge the teen drivers needed a more graduated approach to learning to drive. And we had the benefit of some model legislation um, that um, the MVA and DOT team then modified and customized with the help of Bill Bronrod and other mm -hmm. legislative leaders in the safety space. Mm -hmm. um, and it passed in the first year, which was mm -hmm. stunning to us. We did not expect that to pass. And it includes to this day, I think, one of the only jurisdictions that requires 
a graduated driver licensing and driver's ed approach for yes. all, any new driver, regardless of age. It doesn't stop state. at 18. It doesn't stop right. at 21. doesn't matter if I'm a new driver at 55, I've got to go through the same driver training mm -hmm. requirements. And the introduction of that graduated licensing law had a remarkably um, impactful reduction in teen driver crashes. Okay. Now, the focus of folks' uh, driver safety messaging today is sort of that young male mm -hmm. between age kind of 25 to 32. The crash rates are, are, are drastically high through speed and other, um, you know, sort of uh, poor driving behaviors. But graduated driver's license was, again, a team effort. It involved stakeholders. It involved advocacy. It involved uh, Maryland MVA expertise from a policy view. And then the ability to implement. Mm -hmm. And through that implementation came, uh, frankly, the bumper sticker, Rookie Driver. Mm -hmm. um, and that was uh, also a delegate. It was Shane Pendergrass who came <coughs> up with that sticker concept. So, I mean, I guess from that we evolved into on-road testing, mm -hmm. right? We had mm -hmm. closed course testing right. when Marshall was administrator, when I became administrator, mm -hmm. and going to an on-road testing model um, was uh, highly controversial mm -hmm. and highly mm -hmm. tested, um, developed, studied. Um, through the help of uh, Dr. Bob Raleigh, who headed up our medical advisory board mm -hmm. as just a pioneer mm -hmm. um, in that space and helped us shift to uh, also on-road testing. All safety-focused measures mm -hmm. that are very custom to the individual applicant, but applied uniformly across uh, all applicants, whether it's a, for a new driver. And we're really, really proud of that. Well, thank you all for each have made such a significant contribution in the highway safety area. I just want to, you know, we're so fortunate to have such great leaders here for everybody just to learn a little bit from your perspective, what you wish you knew when mm -hmm. you took over as administrator day one. Um, and then what you see for the future of transportation, because things have evolved as we think about from one uh, administration to the next, where do you see it going? So I'd like for each of you to touch on that briefly, well, Marshall. I'm going to answer in the form of a question. How are you going to deal with licensing drivers of flying cars? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have a connected and automated vehicle working group that's looking at that's exactly right. those <laughs> issues. <laughs> yes, it is. It is an interesting and fascinating it is. challenge. And of course, right? uh, and others can touch on it, but EVs. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And what do you wish you knew when you first took over as administrator that you didn't know then? Or what advice would you mm -hmm. give? I, I think that I evolved a practice, but I didn't know it when I started. Uh, and that is um, uh, I, uh, about three years into my tenure. And I was realizing how layered mm. the organization was and how tradition bound it was. And I started a deliberate practice of visiting the Motor Vehicle Administration offices. And I would go in and uh, in many cases, they had never met a motor vehicle administrator. But I started uh, making that a, a kind of a, a, a fun practice and a little bit of morale building practice as well. But that's where I really learned what was going on. And there were numerous examples that I can, can cite where I overrode uh, mostly process-based uh, 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 practices uh, at a higher level based on what I was hearing people on the front line tell me. Mm -hmm. And I know that I pass that down uh, as a form of advice to, to at least one of my successors mm -hmm. and make a practice of going out 
and visiting the Motor Vehicle Administrative Administration offices, talk to the customers, and you'll learn more than you will benefit them. Well, that's great. Something that continues still today, mm -hmm. so it lives on. And would you like to respond to those two questions? Well, I, which one? Um, the, the, the future is now. So yes. we are building forward for sure to serve people where they want to be served through whatever new means that enables. And I can only hope that uh, automated vehicles help us eliminate the high degree of human-driven crashes that continue to occur and maybe more so since the pandemic. Um, you know, for me, I guess it's uh, what I wish I'd, I'd paid attention to was just listening more, talking less, uh, leading more by uh, setting an outcome and expectation and letting folks get there their own way. Um, I mean, the only other thing I would say is if your gut is suggesting not to do something, if your gut feels queasy about something, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Always check with a colleague. I, I mean, yeah. there's so many, so many instances in which in our roles, yeah. you're asked by different parties to do things that just aren't right or don't feel right. They may be right in someone's eyes, but mm -hmm. they feel like it might not be best for the whole. Mm -hmm. So there you go. That's great. Yeah. John, words of wisdom? Well, uh, words of wisdom, wow. Um, I think uh, first, let me answer the latter question first. I think from the standpoint of where MBA is going, I think just be ready. You know, be ready for the, ha the fast evolution of motor vehicles, you know. Um, I think I shared with uh, all of you that uh, I, I drove here today, what should I say, uh, drove part of the way uh, in a vehicle that drives itself, you know, and it drove, it drove itself part of the way, okay. Um, and uh, so that's a, the evolution of technology in motor vehicles. Uh, one of the examples that, uh, you know, you are certainly aware of and Milt's certainly aware of is that, uh, you know, um, when we were you know, looking at our processes and, uh, you know, going on on-road testing, you know, behind-the-wheel testing, uh, one of our driver license examiners took it upon himself, <laughs> you might recall yes. this, okay, uh, uh, back then, you know, the, the uh, was one of the new technologies of one of the, uh, the luxury vehicles. Uh, it could automatically parallel park, parallel park, <laughs> okay. And the driver license examiner took it upon himself to ask the customer <laughs> to cover up that technology and turn it off, you know. And they said, well, we you know we got to look at this, okay, okay from a standpoint of evolution, evolution of technology that is available. And uh, I'm so glad that you're you know, taking uh, taking this on through Anva because uh, that technology is going to continue to evolve very quickly. AI, artificial okay. intelligence, you know, automate, autonomous vehicles, okay. you know, all of that is here. You know, okay. the technology is already here. Uh, from the standpoint of what I wish I knew when okay. I was at the helm, uh, I think uh, I'll answer this from this, uh, this perspective. I had the luxury of knowing Marshall, knowing Anne, knowing both of you brought aboard two fantastic team members uh, at the MBA. Um, and uh, so from the standpoint of having the, those resources at my fingertips, I was able to always bounce things, ideas, things off mm -hmm. of Anne as well as Marshall and our, you know, yourself as Mel as part of the team. Um, and uh, so uh, I, I want to say that I think I was pretty much aware of what the challenges were. And I learned, obviously, you know, um, every aspect of the way in running the Motor Vehicle Administration. Um, but uh, you will continue to learn on the job because uh, you don't know what's around the corner. It's always evolving. It's a great <laughs> right. segue, Milt. Right. Share your thoughts in mm -hmm. terms of the role. And again, so many roles at MBA, but taking over as a minister, it's different. Well, the one thing about advice is I would learn as much about what has happened in the past and how things were done so that I could make sure that 
I was open to the changes that came because when you look back over the NBA and you see what has happened, all the changes, it gives you a pretty good idea of what's going to come forward. And as far as the future is concerned, you know that at some point in time, the NBA will be, I guess, not licensing people, but vehicles. Because the vehicles will be doing the driving and all the people will be doing is making sure that their vehicle is licensed and they'll just be getting IDs to fulfill the part to let people know who they are. But at some point in time, people won't be driving the vehicles. No, that's great. And, you know, we think about the change going forward is so profound. But if you just think about over the last yeah. 30, 30 years, years or so, the changes yeah. that you all have seen, so, it's pretty Chrissy, profound, too. Why don't you answer the same two questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because um, the gentleman to my left is someone who uh, saw in me that I could be in this role before I saw it in myself. And I remember many times as John and Milt would be in the office and I would come in to listen to their wisdom. And John would say, when you're administrator one day, this is what you need to think about. And I just kind of blew it off like, I'm never going to be administrator, but I'm going to listen because I'm going to learn from John and he really understands things. And, you know, then when um, Milt moved over to MDTA and the opportunity came up, what I'm so grateful for is I've had the opportunity to learn from such great leaders. Um, I think the challenge that I find as administrator is stepping back and being in the moment because so many things are hitting you mm -hmm. all the time. So that's mm -hmm. what I try to remind myself about, um, especially when you think about some of the accomplishments that have been made um, possible by the great decisions that were made in the past to step back and reflect on that and make sure the team reflects on it. Because I really it's important to me that they feel the great success that I feel that they've accomplished. And so we're still out there uh, 7.30 in the morning. We do our branch visits, and I love that. It's one of my favorite things to do because we've got such great ideas and perspectives from them. And um, as with MBA, it will continue to evolve over time, and the great people that make it happen is what I love about it. You know, um, so many great employees throughout the years that. that I have learned so much from, and um, certainly you as great leaders. So I thank you for all the wisdom that you've given me. It's certainly made possible, and in those difficult moments, you've been there to support. And so, on behalf of all the residents of Maryland, I just want to say thank you for your service. It's been invaluable. And you know, when I hear things like "This is the best motor vehicle administration in the country," it's because of the work that you all did to make that happen. So thank you so much for that. Um, thank you to our listeners for spending some time with us. I hope you've learned just as much as I have about not only the history, but the foundation that sets for the future. So thank you, and I look forward to seeing you again in our next conversations with Chrissy.